the Sciences Empire Radiator Service, but it's, it's a whole lot bigger than that. Hi, I'm Mark Taylor, Executive Director of Narsen Idea. And I'm Bobby Duran, President of Narsa Idea. You're listening to another episode of Solder and Soot, a Narsa Idea podcast. Today, we're excited to have three generations involved in the radiator and diesel emissions industries. Mike, Jim, and Andrew Shelkin of Empire Radiator Service, based in Rochester, New York. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, hello, and glad to be here. How's it going? Glad to be here. Hey, looking forward to the podcast, everybody. We'll start with the, we'll start with Senior. How you doing, Mike? We'll, we'll, we'll start with the old guy, yeah. yeah and I'm Mike, and uh, I've been involved in the business since Jim and I purchased it back in 1997. That's after spending 28 years at Kodak and a couple of years doing income tax for H&R Block and so on, knowing nothing about the radiator business. My actual background is chemistry. I have a degree in chemistry and did a lot of R&D work at Kodak was involved in a lot of coordination on worldwide basis for manufacturing, uh, a lot of uh, quality training and so on. So uh, that's kind of my background. The, the financial part of it really comes from my couple of years taking courses and working for H&R Block. Yeah, because I, I thought like years ago uh, at, at a NARSA event or two that you had actually uh, talked about some uh, finances in the radiator shop or about finances in the radiator business. Yeah. Yeah. Going, going way back when we first bought the business, we uh, hooked up with a consultant who worked us through a lot of information on how to calculate manufacturing costs, price setting, uh, profit and loss and all that stuff. And uh, we've been using it ever since. We still use the spreadsheets we got from those guys to put prices on box sales, for example, uh, and do the cost of special projects, recourse, and so on. And I did actually give a presentation on that at one of the NARSA meetings many years ago. I, I was I was there. I, I witnessed that, uh, that uh, presentation. It was actually quite good. I guess I'll go next. I'm Andrew. I'm Jim's son, Mike's grandson. And... Uh, I've been slowly stepping into the business, taking on more roles, working in and out of high school, and I just graduated. So now I'm finally here completely full time. And uh, I got my own little department that I sort of run in the shop that we'll touch on a little later, I think. But um, that's just sort of where I'm coming into it all. Did uh, when uh, you said you just finished up uh, high school, Andrew, uh, did you have any type of vocational training in high school or was it? Uh, strictly uh, scholastic and getting all the uh, training, vocational training, uh, working with your grandfather and your father. I did take a lot of the technical courses that my high school offered. Um, I didn't do any uh, outside of the high school vocational courses like BOCES, um, but I did take a lot of the CAD classes, engineering design classes, um, some woodworking stuff, metalworking stuff. I did take automotive service courses in high school. So just to sort of touch on it. And that has helped with some stuff here. Yeah, no, I'm really impressed with all the stuff that you're doing with the, with the machinery that you post on social media. Uh, so next, Jim. Well, Al, my name's James Shelkin and I'm a co-owner with my father, Mike of Empire Radiator Service. 
my background is in automotive technologies. I have an associate's degree through the Wellsville campus, uh, SUNY Alfred State. Um, before buying Empire Radiator in 1997, I was a Mac tool distributor from 91 to 97. And before that, right out of college, I worked in the dealerships. Um, and then since we bought Empire Radiators, really, there's been no looking back. It's, it's forward and getting more into the production side of things, fabrication, custom design. And, and that's where it's really nice to have my son, Andrew, because I can give him a, a drawing and he spits out a part in about five minutes. Depending on how big the part is. Yeah, true, true. But uh, we've, we've transitioned from the automotive side of things strictly into the heat exchanger service world. And then within the heat exchanger service industry, we branched out into the DPFs and the EGRs and the fuel tanks and trying to just add services as we go that still kind of are in the wheelhouse of heat exchangers. So we're not straying too far away from that. Excellent. So, you know, we've... Uh... You guys um, recently moved into a new facility, um, and uh, I'd, I'd like to hear more about it. Okay, from the from the building perspective, as we shortly after we bought the business, we moved out of the place we in because some issues popped up with uh, an agreement we had to rent to buy and some other things. So we found a bigger, better place. Moved there in nineteen ninety eight, and had about, I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 square foot building, which we kind of outgrew. And in 2017, we bought the building next door and more or less doubled our space, filled that up with equipment, got the CNC plasma table, uh, started uh, at that time, of course, doing more and more bigger stuff. And uh, we actually had stuff that we couldn't fit in the building. So we're working outside. Jim spent probably five years looking into uh bigger, better facilities. We looked into an addition to one of our buildings that didn't work out. And uh, I think this building we're in today came up sort of as Jim was driving by and saw a sign out front and stopped and the owner came out and uh, wanted to know what he was doing. Well, yeah, I, uh, I was driving up and down the road about three or four times and I, I stopped in the parking lot and there was a pickup truck with a guy in it and he rolls his window down and says, are you lost? And I'm like, no, I'm looking at the building for sale. He says, well, what building? And I like this big one right here on the corner with a sign. And he smiles. He goes, oh, I'm the owner. And I says, well, that's awesome. Can we take a look inside? So we, we did a quick tour and I pretty much fell in love with the place and started looking around and, you know, little by little things fell into place. And uh, I don't know how many months it was later, but we finally were able to close, I think, in October on the deal. And uh, so that was always fun, just checking everything out and just the way things came together was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, a uh, good bit of advice that I've, you know, I, I've experienced and uh, and a lot of NARSA members have told me just when you think it's big enough, you'll outgrow it <laughs> at some point. I hope so. Anyway, that's already the joke between all my guys. And I tell them. When I fill this building, I'm selling because I don't want to move again. Because <laughs> that was an absolute killer, and I, I don't want to do it again. Um, yeah. We've got, a, what, 28,000 feet on one floor and a couple thousand up above that? Yeah. 
about that. That's awesome. So I imagine that gives uh, just to pivot in another direction that gives uh, Andrew a lot of uh, room for machines to uh, kind of get his creative juices flowing as well as Jim. Um, <laughs> could you tell us about some some of the capabilities you guys have and, and, and what plans you guys are, are looking to do for, for all that space? As far as capabilities, we pretty much on sort of a limited basis can fabricate anything we need. Um, radiator tanks to side rails to brackets to threaded fittings and bungs. Um, you know, with the CNC plasma table and the design software, that makes that realm real nice. And then we transition those parts over to the press brake. Um, I'm in the process of making some Ford van fuel tank straps that are now discontinued. We just got done building a complete case 821 radiator with side rails, and we redesigned a few things. And I've, I've been slowly pushing my way towards the production side of things because my end goal is to actually bring core manufacturing in-house. Um, I'm working real close with CG&J and I also work with Active. And they can build me anything I need as far as core, but there's certain models that are very repetitive that I'd like to be able to do in-house start to finish. So the end game is complete start to finish manufacturing. And then we're also looking at upgrading. Um, I'm looking at like a 10 foot Cincinnati CNC press break and I've got my eye on a couple CNC lathes and things. So when those oddball parts show up at my door and the guy says, looks, and these are discontinued, I just log the job in and say, well, we'll, we'll make the part and call you when it's done. And uh, that opens a lot of doors for people who wouldn't necessarily be buying a radiator or something from me, but now all of a sudden they find out what I've been able to do. And that just helps grow the business. Who's doing the majority of the programming of the machines? Is that you, Andrew? Yeah. Uh, as for the CNC machines, I do all the work on the table. I'm probably the only guy here that can run it as well as I do because of all the little tips and tricks I got to make it do what I want. Um, as for most of the other machines, uh, my dad, Jim, runs them a lot. I don't have quite that much machine time. I mean, I can operate a few of them, but I still have some learning to do. And, uh, you know, some of the other employees here that I work with, you know, they can operate them too. Uh, but as for the CNC table, um, I'm the guy that operates it. You know, they all come up with something they want cut out. And they're like, Andrew, I need this made. And I'd sit down 10, 20 minutes, whatever. I design it and I spit it out. So, and it, on top of being able to cut plates, I can also cut tubing and do tubing jobs. So that just adds to the capabilities of what I can do for it. So we, yeah, we, so, so Andrew, we kind of share something in common in that, you know, we worked in family businesses. What's it like working with, you know, three generations of uh of shelkins and in, in, in well now you got a lot more space to do it i imagine that makes it a little easier <laughs> yeah it's uh it's interesting for sure i get to uh watch my dad and grandpa go back and forth about a couple things and brainstorm and i you know have my own input on certain topics here and there with uh different aspects of the business but it's definitely interesting for sure to say the least about it. Andrew, one, one, um, one of the things we, we've kind of been touching upon, you know, is young people kind of getting into the business. Do you see a lot of people like yourself yeah. getting into 
you know, CNC programming and SolidWorks or AutoCAD or kind of taking an interest in that? Is is it something that's a bit of a resurgence, you think? Yeah, there's definitely um, somewhat of a you know, people in my age range generation that are taking a knack for CNC machining and machining in general. Um, a couple of buddies from my high school went to uh, BOCES for machining and, you know, they put their time in in machine shops. Um, so there is definitely an interest for it because that's pretty much where it's going. I have a cousin who does, uh, he operates CNC machinery in Pennsylvania. So we've been having a discussion about the uh, skilled labor force work shortage uh, or the shortage of skilled uh, labor in the workforce. And uh, we just ran a webinar about that. And, and one of the things that, that has happened over the last probably 50 years is that parents uh, have influenced their children to pursue uh, four-year degrees, to not go into any type of a trade, to not work with their hands. Um, there was a, a poster floating around uh, that was in guidance counselors' offices back in the in the seventies. It said, "You know, work smarter, not harder." And had a picture of a of a guy with a diploma or a, a college uh, a degree, and and then a guy you know holding a wrench or a shovel. Okay, so you know, was there ever any question as to uh, what path that you were going to go down, or was there ever any uh, opinions? No, no, there was never a question. Uh, pretty much from the time I was, you know, building Lego sets as a little kid to where I am now, it's always been hands-on kind of stuff, working on something. Yeah, we have the pictures to prove it when he was working on his pedal car in the old office. I, I think he might have been like five years old or something, and he's under he's underneath there. His feet are sticking out. He's got the wrenches, and yeah, so he he's been groomed a mechanic since day one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Um, Rochester traditionally has been a manufacturing powerhouse, uh, you know, and I guess, you know, best known for Kodak, but I believe there was radiator manufacturing there before. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm seeing in many places that were manufacturing powerhouses and, and kind of had, had, had run on tough times, sort of manufacturing coming back um, in different ways. Do you guys see that happening? in Rochester and in what capacity? Well, that's a good question. Um, obviously, as you said, back years ago when I was at Kodak, there were 60,000 people working there. Now it's practically, you know, maybe 6,000 if that. Um, what I guess I would say is there seems to be some uh, support for trying to do that. Um, you know, one of our, uh, the guy across the street from our old shop is a welding shop and he's uh, doing things and trying to add to some of his equipment. We've done jobs for them because we can make parts that he can't make uh, on a small scale. I, I think I see some of that off the top of my head. I can't think of anything really big going on. The, the, the local governments claim to have programs to help support and provide uh I'll call it grants and financial incentives and things. And we went through a lot of that when we started to negotiate to buy this building. And the way it all worked out, at least at our scale, we were too small to really benefit from it. Uh, the, the fees they were going to charge me 
pretty much outweighed the benefits I was going to get in sales tax savings and some of the other things. So uh, the city has grants for business of all types, uh, which you can get every couple of years, which in, in our case, we did it two years ago and we just got approved to do it again now where we got $8,000 split up amongst advertising equipment purchases and a couple other categories. But so there's some minimal support, I'll call it. And there's probably more word of mouth stuff than actual factual stuff going on. But uh, I don't know, maybe Jim can add to that uh, in terms of uh, manufacturing type growth. Well, well, Jim, do you find that the supply chain disruptions that have happened over the last year and a half, two years or so have uh, positively or negatively affected your business, uh, especially from a manufacturing standpoint? Within the heat exchangers and, and some of the other parts that we've started to design, the disruption has been minimal, um, but it is there. And I hear it from a lot of other customers and businesses that we work with that you know, the, the, the delivery times, which might've taken two or three days now takes three to five days or seven to 10 days. The delivery times on some of the stuff that I'm dealing with is now being pushed out two weeks, three, but it's selective and it's, it's affected me minimally, but enough where I have to inform my customers and kind of stay on top of things and follow through on every order that we're placing and actually have people like well, we've got two on the shelf, have them go confirm it before they ship it, things like that. And have you, have you found that you being able to manufacture stuff uh, and manufacture parts, has that brought you opportunities that perhaps weren't available, available to you a year and a half, two years ago, because people were just buying their stuff from their traditional suppliers, or you haven't really seen that? Uh, it's been a huge increase. Um, that's part of the reason why over the years I've been trying to push into more manufacturing because like you said, over the last year or two, as the supply chain's drying up, so are the parts that these people need. And some of them are very common. And now all of a sudden through their networking and making phone calls, they find the right parts guy that says, Hey, you need to go see Jim at Empire. He makes these. And it, it definitely, I've seen an increase in the need and I've seen an increase in our abilities. And every time something new comes in, we sit there and we kind of re-engineer it or reverse engineer it. It's like, we're going to build three of these for the customer, but we're going to build one for ourselves and we're going to put it on the shelf. Um, so it, it's definitely added to the business and it also has opened up a lot of new accounts and, and new avenues to try to you know, grow the business and what I like to call future-proof the business that we have that continued growth. It, Jim, it seems like that most of the businesses in our industry that are doing well or the businesses that are diversified, they found these different niches that, you know, produce work that, that keep them busy. And, you know, it's, a, it's things that not, every, you know, typical radiator shop would uh, would have done in the past. And, and we're branching out or like you're branching out in these different areas. Uh, what other things do you do uh, at your company? What other services do you offer besides, besides radiator, uh, radiator service and, and this fabrication? Well, we, uh, we have an in-house sandblasting department that kind of goes hand in hand with the gas tank renew process that we took on. Um, besides the renew process, we do, repairs and 
and fabrications and restorations on fuel tanks, aluminum, diesel tanks, um, just about any kind of pressure vessel that comes through the door. We have all the design capabilities, fabrication abilities. I have a full-time welder on staff along with myself, Andrew, and another individual. So there's a lot of you know, uh, custom welding jobs that you may not even think a radiator shop would do, but because they're current customers, it's works coming through the door. We do all of the uh, fluid line service work for hydraulic hoses and solid lines up to inch and a quarter hydraulic, but then I also have the ability up to three inch, three and a half inch bending, and then through other manufacturing means, we even go up to six inch diameter stainless tubing for turbo aftercooler pipes, radiator coolant pipes. Um, we have a whole product line now that I've worked in conjunction with Jesse White from Amherst on stainless steel coolant manifolds and heater manifolds for the school buses and that industry. So we've got six or eight part numbers now that we're making and, and putting out in production runs. Uh, we make the, uh, the DEF lines for uh, a couple model trucks for the injection for the uh, DPF emission systems. We also do the DPF cleanings, the EGR cleanings and all the service and repair re related to that part of it also. So it, the science is Empire Radiator Service, but it's, it's a whole lot bigger than that. And sometimes it's easier to tell people what we don't do. And I kind of joke and tell them, well, I don't do engines and I don't do transmissions, but everything else is fair game. What part of your, your business, Mike, seems to be the most challenging part as far as maybe price wars or competition or, you know, um, availability of, of product? Um, is, there, is there one area of your business that stands out as being the most challenging part? Hmm. From what I see going on, a lot of it is in the actual radiator and, you know, the coolant side of the business, because these guys will come in here and want to know if we can do something. And the answer is yes. And when we say, well, that's a custom job, it starts at a thousand. He says, well, I can get it for 300 on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of that uh, in the, you know, the radiator side of the business. And uh, we still get a lot of customers that come in here with this nice custom aluminum radiator from their street rider race car that they bought off the internet that doesn't fit. Can we fix it? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we, we try to educate them from the perspective of, you know, if we do this for you, it's going to be a drop in fit. It's going to be done right. It's going to cool it the way it's supposed to. Uh, uh, you know, you can get the other stuff and when you have a problem, we can fix it for you. We, we, we do a lot and Jim can probably address this to, to try to educate people on to why what we do is gonna give you a better result. And Tony, one of our guys that works here in this workforce for many, many years is now more or less into the side of being a customer service guy for some physical reasons and other things. And he's pretty good at being able to explain to those guys why what we're going to do for you is going to be a better outcome in the end. So educating the customer is part of what we try to do. Mike, you, you mentioned one of your team members. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about your team and how many, how many people work in your shop and, and, and sort of experience levels? Yeah, we've got, uh, well, besides, you know, Jim and, 
Andrew and myself, and I, I was supposed to retire after five years in the business, by the way, but it, it didn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Wendy, Jim's wife is our office manager and been doing that for quite a few years now. Uh, Anthony, or Tony, the guy I mentioned to you, uh, has worked for us off and on since basically we got into the business. His real skill has been in the uh, custom radiator building, the copper brass stuff. Uh, his work was is still phenomenal. He has some issues with hands and stuff that make it difficult for him. So we're trying to uh, transition him, but he's got the knowledge and the experience and his stuff going out the door was the top quality anywhere in terms of recors and custom radiators and stuff. So uh, he's been associated with us since the beginning, pretty much. Uh, the, the welder, uh, Sam, that Jim talked about, uh, has had a lot of welding experience in other companies and uh, uh, came to us, what, two years ago now? Yeah, John kind of, I stumbled upon him through a referral at the time from the pastor in our church. And he's like a sponge when it comes to new techniques and, and new services. You teach him once and he's got it. Um, and then the newest employee, Sam, was actually an acquaintance and friend of Tony. And he's like, hey, you know, I know somebody looking for work if you're kind of interested. And I kind of was and I wasn't. Um, but again, it's, it's worked out to the point where he's become an invaluable asset. We, we're kind of one big family and we work very well together. That's excellent. Do you find that uh, being in Rochester, I believe Rochester had a Harrison plant? That was in Lock, I think Lockport. Uh, yeah. Lockport. Well, the, yeah. the area. Yeah. Um, do you find that that sort of history of radiator manufacturing in Buffalo and, and, and that area of, of, of New York's of New York state is, is any of that knowledge sort of still available? Is it easier to, is it easy to find people uh, that have these skills or you're having just as much trouble as the rest of the country? It's interesting that a lot of my customers will come in and they may be past employees of Harrison or Rochester products or any of those companies. And we start talking about build techniques and they'll relay stories of when they were in the plant building radiators or you know doing whatever. So the history is still out there among the people and, and our customers and the hot rod guys. And, and quite a few of them remember you know working for these companies. Unfortunately though, like what Mark had mentioned about the shift years ago to four-year degrees, a lot of those customers and, and their families, they just kind of didn't push the blue collar hands-on. So even though the knowledge is out there in the community and the history is there, the labor force has kind of moved on to other things, other areas. So you have to go back to Andy's generation and like, go through their friends and look at the BOCI schools and even go right into junior high and find the individuals who express an interest in the automotive shop classes or the CAD classes. And you find all the kids that have dirty work boots every day. Right. You, you, look, you look for the flannel wearing, boot wearing, dirty fingernail guys and you say, hey, you ever think about being, you know, a mechanic or working on this or that? <laughs> Nobody, I don't think, wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to build a radiator. I mean, I do now because I've been doing it for so long, but I'm kind of weird. I, I, I do. Right. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and through personal 
referrals and acquaintances and we've kind of just you know nurtured and massaged those friendships and they've worked out as very good employees so those are some of the areas that I continually work with and even my customer base I'm always asking you know know anybody or you ever think about maybe taking a change in your career and sometimes they'll just flat out ask me if I'm looking for somebody so it's it's a battle, but I know there's people out there. You just have to find them. Hey, Jim, I'd already asked your father this question, but maybe you could give us uh, your side of the most challenging part of the business, what you find uh, on a on a day in and day out basis to be that uh, that challenge that maybe you struggle with or um, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's always like kind of uh, pushing that rock uphill, you know? <laughs> Well, after talking about all my employees and, and giving them praise and kudos because we are such a great team together, they're also kind of the double-edged sword where on a day-to-day -day basis with the personalities and attitudes of everybody involved, I think that the employees are probably the number one issue that you always have to deal with. There's always something new, whether it's good or bad. And uh, you know, without employees, you have no business, but there's definitely a balancing act to, to get everybody to work together. So get, getting, switching gears a little bit. I mean, you know, we are, we are a podcast from NARSA idea. Um, you guys have been members for a long time. Again, I remember attending one of Mike's seminars in financial management of a shop. Um, how, have, how did you guys become part of NARSA, um, and what have you gotten out of it? And, and, and what would you, you know, how do you, how would you recommend others to kind of, kind of network with, with, with other people in, in the group? Yeah. Let, let me start and then let Jim finish up because we joined NARSA right after we bought this business from the perspective of an association where hopefully we could learn some things. And within a few months of buying the business, we were at our first NARSA convention I think it was in Florida at the at Disney World down there anyway it was in Florida and and as things evolved uh, we've made a lot of good contacts and acquaintanceships with guys like yourself we've gone to the tech meetings and the various meetings at other shops and learned a lot from those guys and to me NARSA has always been a great resource uh, we've run into situations going way back a few years uh uh, we were working with uh, the uh, Department of Transportation guys here that run the uh, Erie Canal and have the tugboats under their control looking for a tube and bundle cooler. And uh, we worked with Dave Benvenu and ended up getting them a piece that I have, I think I still have pictures of it on the website, that that thing was 10 times better than the original. So it's the people we've met the skill sets that are out there, the expertise that we have access to that I think is a real benefit to us. Jim, you can add to that. Yeah, belonging to NARSA has been pivotal in growing this business. Um, we now work with Jesse White with Amherst Hamburg Radiator and we have a buyer's group and sort of like a collective of service shops. And we've he's actually resurrected the Chimera group, which was his family's uh, radiator manufacturing business many years ago. So we brought back the Chimera group and that's all because of belonging to NARSA. Excellent. It's, it's funny you say that Jesse White, uh, Jesse White's a good friend of mine. 
And uh, actually, a lot, some of the machinery that uh, we have at our facility in Puerto Rico came from Chimera. Yeah, that's what he was. That's what he was telling me. Yeah, my father bought it. It, it, it still exists and the uh, the legacy continues. And if you guys ever want to visit it, you're more than welcome to come. Sure, so. sure. I actually bought Chimera radiator cores from a big boy. Gosh, I can't remember his name. Big dark haired fella that uh, came to Baltimore and sold me radiator cores, I think, when nobody else would. Uh, it's interesting you say that because uh, when I bought the business in 97, Joe Galasano was still around and he was the original owner going back to 1947 and he used to tell me about chimera and he would buy radiators from them and he always used to tell about the story when they had their fire uh and so there's there's a lot of history entwined with all of our businesses that yeah you wouldn't really know about but it's there there, there is a legacy there i i just i'm just really proud to see narsa members um narsa idea members sort of evolving and doing things out of the box because i think at the end of the day the shops that are gonna that are gonna go into the future and really be successful are shops like empire that are kind of doing different things identifying niches and 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 learning how to be successful in basically a new environment so i, I tip my hat to you guys I, I hope to go visit you guys uh someday soon Although since I moved to Puerto Rico, my tolerance for cold has gone down dramatically. So it would probably be sometime in like June, July or something like that. <laughs> and maybe I'll get some fishing up in on yeah. the lake at the same time. So, uh, but again, thank you guys for your time. I really appreciate it. Could I make just one last comment here? Maybe um, I, I think in the 20 years or so that we've been in business, one of the key things that I think we have learned is that the only constant out there is change. Things are changing constantly all the time. And you need to be aware. You need to be looking ahead to figure out what do I have to do to stay in business? Because if we stayed in the business of recording car radiators, we'd be dead. And Jim has had vision to look ahead and see services and ideas and things to add. So I look at him as the visionary. But you need to be looking out there and be ready to change. Don't get in a rut. I think those are words that, uh, that that people need to take to heart in this industry. And I think we all know it. And uh, we really appreciate the sentiment, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, Jim, Andrew, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Our mission at NARSA IDEA is one idea, one opportunity, and one connection. We have members from all over the world. And through networking, we learn from each other. If you're interested in our association, we'd love to have you join us. You can learn more about membership at our website, www.narsa-idea.org. As always, you can find all of our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on Anchor. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.